0: Jesse Stratton, welcome to the 525 Records Podcast. Thanks, Elliot. It's good to be here. It's good to have you here. We are live from Los Angeles, live from the end of the world, <laughs> rolling hot. Hollywood's a fascinating place. Uh, as a kid, I always wanted to move here to be a rock star.
1: Did you really? That was a goal? A goal.
0: A big goal. It, was, it always was the embodiment of anybody that didn't want to work a nine-to-five job <laughs> and, uh, you know, become rich and famous through the arts. I dropped out of high school because I was going to be a rock and roll guitar player. Why, why do I need a
1: college degree, you know? Wait, now I'm, I'm learning something new. I didn't realize that you dropped out of high school. Well, I, in California, they have what's called a proficiency exam.
0: And at 15, you can take a test to allow you to escape the nightmare that is California public high school, but you know, yeah, we were uh, several times gonna run away as teenagers to come to Hollywood. Um, and you know, that reminds me. Recently, I played. Uh, you remember Randy Newman? Oh yeah, that song. I love LA. Oh yeah, yeah. It was a big Lakers, uh, you know, theme song. But watch that video today. I was texting. I was like, "This this video and song is going to be canceled any day now, due to its toxic masculinity. It's <laughs> it's just all about chicks and it's just hot chicks yeah. and you know, um, the themes in it. You know, just it's frightening because it was totally accepted at yeah. the time. Yeah, and, uh, but you, you don't see it for thirty years. Times change, and then before you know it, oh my god, this thing is a
1: sexist, complete toxic piece of shit. It's true. I mean, we're, it seems like we're waking up." Uh, over and over again, every day you wake up and realize that you've been acting badly uh, for your whole life. What you thought was funny isn't funny, and and you then and you think I've learned, I progressed, uh, I know how uh, I know how to behave. And then the next day you wake up again, like oh my, well I shouldn't I, I shouldn't have been thinking that, I shouldn't have thought this. It's interesting. I mean, I, I enjoy that. I, I enjoy being challenged in that way. You know, constantly, you know, coming up against the new paradigm. Is interesting. You know?
0: Uh, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a whole topic I wanted to get into. Oh, boy. I, I was saving it for later, but we're going to jump right into it. Okay.
1: Have you ever seen the movie Bagger Vance? I have not. No. Um, you've seen Donnie Darko. That, yes. I have seen Donnie Darko a couple times. I haven't seen
0: any of these recently, but there's a podcast that I absolutely love that was talking about this, v- the very thing today, um... I hope I pronounced this right. Please correct me. The Bhagavad Bhagavad Gita. (laughs) Bhagavad Gita, yeah. Carlos Castaneda. Yes. Um, The illusion that freedom from choice is what it's all about. Uh, Choice is really an illusion. You can watch a movie like Bagger Vance and it can be on one level in the ego mind uh, all about free will and choices, but on a much deeper level... Um, it's about the exact opposite. The whole idea that um, as you become spiritually awake, you start to let go of material reality and possessions. And the things that you were passionate about, you don't care about anymore. Yeah. It's sort of the death of passion is a feature of your spiritual enlightenment. Uh-huh. You, you start to realize, you know, what is this reality? You know, death is the only thing that's certain. You live in fear of it your entire life, but when you, like a samurai, the samurai's creed was, if you have a choice between life or death, always choose death. Right. The, the Buddhist notion of reincarnation that, you know, humans are at the top of the spiritual food chain,
1: and if you screw up, you go back to being an animal, or yeah. whatever. Well, I don't know how the animals feel about that. To quote the <laughs> podcast. Well, that's interesting. You, uh, you talk, We're t- we're here in Los Angeles, where people are uh, striving either because they're insane or because they actually are talented to, uh, you know, quote unquote, achieve their dreams, which is generally just to get uh, their idea out, right? Uh, so, yeah, if that's true, if if spiritual evolution means the giving up of all hoped for things, then that's a, that's a difficult thing to do because does that mean if I have a, if I have a story that I think the world needs to hear, uh, that in order for me to e- quote unquote, evolve, does that mean letting go of the, uh, striving to get that out, the not writing it down, the not telling people it, does that mean that that story goes away? And then, I don't know, we end up at some very Buddhist thing where the only art is just like a beautiful field. And we look at it, turn away and walk away. I don't know. That's, That's weird. But the idea that
0: you kind of accept reality as is and you're powerless really, you know, it's like holding back the ocean with a two by four, but you still don't, you still make the conscious changes you can in your life, a very small level, you know what's right, you try to do it, but you realize that, you know, it just, it's okay, Mm -hmm. you know, and letting go of your material possessions, Be like a lot of near death experience people will tell you when they come back that... Oh, I just, all of a sudden, I didn't care about this place at all. It just, my kids, everything that really meant something to me, vaporized. And Mm -hmm. for that brief little escrow, I didn't care about any of that stuff. And it was free, and it it felt great, it felt liberating. I think that's kind of in the same vein. Yeah,
1: interesting.
0: And, you know, like time itself. There was He had a great analogy. When you're on a train, you're still, and the scenery's whizzing by you. So the perception is, is that, you know, you're the scenery is moving and you're still right. And if you think about time like that, it's very similar. Um, like if you go for a walk, trying to get to a place where you're just like you are on the train, you're, you're conscious that you're moving, but it's not you that's moving. It's the world moving around you, you know, and if time is linear and we're reincarnated, you're multiple people at different points in time,
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's, uh, Yeah, it's always been my biggest fear that the universe is just some brain running through permutations, just seeing how uh, the human experience can be either crushing or, or liberating or joyful or terrifying, uh, depending on which mind it chooses to observe at any given time and i'm always horrified that i might be the the particular vessel of of crushing terror and depression or you know so what if i'm job you know what if what right. if the supercomputer doing that these algorithms trying to see like what would happen to an individual if we did everything terrible to them i always like please don't let me be that <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah but uh, you know
0: like you were talking about the um you know
1: screwing up over and over
0: again as a human you know you try to do the right thing and then you wake up over and over again yeah and it's like this path this evolutionary path yeah. that you and you know people fear death they you know they fear the death of their body but it's really you know the thing they would fear is not the death It's what happens after that. You know, the character's name in Bagger Vance is Randall Juna. And there's something in the Bhagavad Gita of Arjuna. And he's starting a war that he doesn't realize or comes to realize it was, you know, was out of his control the whole time. And so that was the theme I was trying to interesting. Get across. But uh, I was hoping maybe you were more versed in this I, <laughs> than
1: I was. And, uh, when it comes, you could enlighten me. Well, you know, when it comes to uh, the uh, Bhagavad Gita, I am not uh, actually, uh, com- I haven't actually read it. I, and the closest I came to experiencing um, many sort of reading of that book was at uh, Lilith Fair, I think, in like 1996, when one of the, uh, the Hari Krishnas came up and tried to force it into my hands but i never did read it the um but the death of the ego
0: is a very prevalent theme when you take dmt when you take mushrooms any kind of that stuff um you know you you have the strange ego death and the things just don't matter to you anymore and it's interesting
1: it is yeah no it's fascinating the concept of of letting go of ego is at once terrifying and and yet uh yeah, like you said, uh, when people have near-death experiences, they cease to care about things like their children and stuff like that. On one side, it's horrible. On the other side, it must be so liberating to let go of those those threads, you know? I'm, like, what is
0: this place? What, hmm. what are we all doing here,
1: you know? Well, that's what it is. I, I mean, are we, you know, the same way you're tied familially and genetically to your offspring and you forced by uh, a mandate of nature to love them and care for them i mean the same way when we're waking up and realizing oh that randy newman song isn't really funny anymore we're we're putting uh we're feeling the strings of culture you know tugging at us in a certain way saying love this don't love this let go of this come to this it's and we have to just figure out whether or not we agree or want to take a stand against it last night uh in preparation
0: for this, I was on the iPad, and I rented a movie. Uh-huh. Its title is 37, A Final Promise. Oh, yeah. It um, stars, I, I don't want to butcher his last name, so help me out. Randall yeah Randall he write. He wrote, directed, mm-hmm. and starred in this. Yep. But you're also a big part of the writing process. Yes. I remember living in Vegas. You sent me the screenplay, mm-hmm. and I read through it, and I was so proud and happy because you wrote me in as a character. Yes, I did. The movie is about a band, a rock band in Hollywood. Yep. Who's, they're all rich and famous. And the bass player is Elliot Cox. Yes. Who, that's my real yep. name. And the screenplay goes to describe him in great detail. Yeah. And it's very accurate. <laughs> However, you know, due to editing... He's in a couple of scenes, yeah. doesn't have a lot of dialogue, yeah. and looks nothing like me. <laughs> but that was a big moment, you know, 2013, 2014, mm-hmm. you had just moved to Hollywood. Yep. What, what, like, you're living in Chicago. Right, yes. And you say, I'm going to make the leap. I'm going to move to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like, what? what
1: did it for you? What, like threw you over the edge. Well, I was I was thinking about moving. I mean, I'd been doing a lot of writing in Chicago and uh, um, practicing my craft, but sort of going nowhere. You know, it's sort of like the Pentagon where you create something, but then it never sees the light of day by virtue of never really actually trying to, like, bring it into the world, you know, show people, try to sell it, you know. Um, I thought, well, Wes, is, Wes Cardino, our Friend Wes is is out here. He's working. He or he wasn't. He was at AFI at the American Film Institute at the time. Um, I helped on a project that he did uh, on the writing side of things. Um, I won't say I wrote it because you can't write a project for uh, AFI um, if you're not a student. But I did help, and uh, it did pretty well. Um, it went on to do fairly well, and I was like, well. You know, that's that's a that's a good thing. It shows I can actually I can actually put something out from the in the Hollywood, you know, from Hollywood and it will be recognized as at least decent. So I went out to kinda get a lay of the land and Wes hooked me up. Um he'd been in Africa shooting a film with Randall Battenkoff in it. Um and Randall had approached him, I believe, and said, Like I have a project that I'd like to do and I'd like you to shoot it and it laid nascent for a little while and then uh, he sent, he being Randall, sent Wes the script and he said, I, you know, it's it's kind of there but I'd like to get someone's eyes on it and it just so happened that I was visiting West, just kind of seeing what, what, you know, LA was like and Wes was like, I have a friend who's in town that does really good script notes, you know, and so sure enough, Uh, I got hired for it, and I think think there was some pay involved. It wasn't a lot, but there was some pay for me. It's an indie movie. Yeah, it's an indie film. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did the notes. I I went through it line by line and kind of came up with what I thought worked, what I thought didn't. It was based on a true story, and it was a romance. And uh, I had a follow-up call with Randall and the other um, co-writer of the original screenplay, uh, Guy Blues and they liked my notes they were very thankful very gracious it was awesome it was a really great experience and then they called me back like an hour later and asked if i would do the second draft of the script kind of like a page one rewrite based on their stuff and so i was like oh i'm here i've done it you know i'm in and um yeah i just decided why not so randall who
0: directs stars yes and is also a writer on the yes. project he's the the band is very big they're Uh, Name is Wendigo, Wendigo. as I recall. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a love story. Very dark, but also very... Spiritual, yeah, in the sense that you know death is a part of life, right? And we're all destined for the same thing, right? At the end of the day, yeah. I think the ending is particularly good. But to bring people up to speed, uh, it's titled 37 A Final Promise. Mm-hmm. The main character, which Randall plays, is the singer, right, in the band, and he has a younger brother who dies a very tragic death at a very young age. And it turns out his death even though he had a horrible terminal disease um it was actually randall's character who was adam yeah who administers the final dose of morphine or right. whatever it is to you know and it, there's um there's a corollary metallica had a very famous video entitled one oh yeah and it was based on i believe the same book <laughs> correct me if i'm wrong but it's about a soldier who loses his arms legs eyes ears everything and he's he can't speak, and they're trying to keep him alive. Yep. And then when he finally is able to communicate, he says, "Please kill me." Yeah, and
1: that's, uh, Johnny got his
0: gun by Dalton Trump. Thank you. Yep. I'm glad you know that. Yep. Yeah, and it's referenced in the movie, and uh, you know. It's um, but you know what I'm really curious about is you know what the state of that script was before you got involved because sure. Adam, the character in the movie played by Randall, right, has a lot of interesting tattoos. Yes, one of them is a 37 over his heart, right, which is referenced in the film right. as oh. And this is where, if you're not into Kabbalah and Gematria, gets a little. You get lost a little. But in uh, Hebrew, every letter has a number, and it's you know synonymous. He's got a Kabbalah tree of life on yep. his left arm. He's got a very interesting tattoo on his other arm, and he's got 37 on his chest, right. which is three times seven, which equals 21. Right. Which when you reduce it even further is another three. These are very powerful numbers yeah. in this kind of vein. So, how much of that was your injection
1: the well you know it's uh the the true thing is that the person that that script is based on and it is based on a true story uh actually did have thirty seven I don't believe it was on their heart. I could be wrong about that. I think it was on the arm but Uh, the conceit is that the character and this person in real life was saying, I'm going to at 37 years old, I'm going to kill myself. And I I presume that a lot of people just kind of laughed at that, just like thinking it was ridiculous, but it was really a real oath. So that tattoo was real and it played a part that, that I'm going to kill myself at 37 played a part in the original story. It was a very pivotal thing. Um, But, What I wanted to bring to it because I'm I get down into the supernatural horror thing, I've always been like into the occult, just not that I'm a you know practicing occultist, but I've always been interested in it. I was trying to inject that into the story a little bit, and so in looking at 37, I realized, oh my god, there's some significance here that works in the story. And so yes, I, I injected the, tr- the tree of life and stuff. But and, well, if
0: I could in, in interject here, um, the character in the film has a very interesting symbol tattoo that I have never seen, mm-hmm. and I'd like to. I, I'm a passing hobbyists when it comes to occult symbology and if i could interject again yeah. occult just means hidden sure it's hidden yes. knowledge yes. when there's an eclipse it's you know one body occulting the other right. it's, it's an actual term right but we've been so programmed in our day and age to think of occult as evil
1: yeah yeah there's no satan involved in any of this so.
0: it's it, yeah and it's you know it's a path um of knowledge right. and hidden knowledge in yep. particular and the secrets of the universe. Mm-hmm. Right. But the character has basically a pyramid an upside down pyramid surrounded by a circle. Yeah. Enclosed in a square. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, any if you if you're hip to Masonic symbology, yep. it's you know the compass and the square. Squaring the circle is a very famous mathematical mm-hmm. problem, very famous scene in another movie called Apollo thirteen, yep. where in order to save the astronauts they have to put a square peg in a round hole. Right. This is all old stuff. Yep. So, talk me through that symbol.
1: Well, that I believe, you know, when you when you do a movie, or when I should say, when someone conceives of a movie, and I'm not I'm not saying I'm that someone. I'm just saying any screenwriter or director who wants to bring something to the stage, uh, they hopefully surround themselves with very talented people in every department. Uh, that would have been. Something that the makeup person or possibly the wardrobe person came up with from their own uh, investigation. So, as far as the significance of of the particular tattoo that you're talking about is actually probably something that someone else came up with. I don't actually remember the tattoo
0: and this is what fascinates me about this movie, which <clears throat> is available on iTunes for rent. You can go watch it. Um, highly recommend it it's it's dark. But if you're into music, you know. Uh, the other thing I was going to get
1: at was the Malibu. Who had that Malibu house? Oh, that was a beautiful house. Uh, I don't remember. It was rented by the production. As I am, don't quote me on this. I believe that whoever built that house, and here's a little bit of, uh, you know, someone wants to get super rich. I think the person that owned that house or built that house uh, actually. Produced, designed and produced sex toys. So that is a house that was built by vibrators. Interesting. You know, it, it was a gorgeous house, yeah. Well,
0: you know. in in the same kind of vein, there's a very famous album by the Red Hot Chili Peppers entitled Blood Sugar Sex Magic, mm-hmm. produced by Rick Rubin. Yeah. Uh, they rented Houdini's old mansion. And the the parallels between magic and the occults are very, very yeah. thick. You know, the band in the film is kind of a metal band. They're yeah. very dark music. And I'm just wondering. I always wondered how much of that was you, and how much of that was there before you got involved in the script.
1: Yeah, and I, as I recall, in the in the original script, he was a musician, but it was not. It was not focused on that much. That's what I felt like needed to happen from reading the original script. It was like there's a lot of things that this guy does. He's kind of a Renaissance man, but we need to focus on one thing, so I made him the, the headliner of a group, and I wanted I wanted it to be dark, you know, I told him, look, dude, I know we can't get Tool, you know, to do this album, but this is what I'm envisioning, I'm thinking of a, you know, sort of a prog rock, like, super band, um, you know, very thoughtful in their approach to music and stuff, and so, yeah, I, that was something that I really, tried to bring to the to the second draft of the script
0: it kind of adds a depth to his character Mm -hmm. that you know i don't think was there before but this is what uh, what i really want to get at is is randall on the same page as you on all this stuff or was was this all news to him
1: uh he understood i mean i was very open with him and he was very uh god you can't ask for a better um a better first experience working firstly on one person's real story and another person's first draft being randall's you know first draft he was very open to what i was saying and and he he's a he's an actor and so i think that he heard what I was saying he read what was on the page and he interpreted it uh so if you if you saw it in the film if you saw that coming through then that's that's him not that's not me and so yeah, he's an actor. Is he also a musician? I don't believe so. No, no, I, I don't think any of the guys who are in the band are actually musicians. So where do, where does the inspiration
0: come for Randall to generate that first draft of this band and musicians? Well,
1: in the in the first draft, I don't believe that uh, you know the the whole uh, band thing really wasn't. In the first draft, really? No.
0: So, talk me through the first draft. What is it about? Uh,
1: the first draft is about the same thing. Um, I, I was coming at it not being from Hollywood, and this—this this is just this was just my interpretation at the time. Um, I felt like what needed to happen was we needed to see a very like soulful depiction of this protagonist character uh, that Randall is playing, and the first draft to me as I was reading it for, you know, God, they could have filmed it and maybe I would have missed the mark entirely, but I felt like the character was just a little too, a little too Los Angeles. It was like he had a lot of money and he liked to show it off and he had, you know, his fingers and a whole lot of different things, which were all really cool. But I was like, we're making this character a little too cool, a little too perfect. And just kind of also all over the board, he's rich and he's got, does get uh, all these different things. Let's just make him, Musician and the other in the and the first draft I believe he had a band but it was hardly referenced.
0: I mean in the movie the band is what kind of brings the center yeah. to the table right. and you know his uh, he in the movie definitely seems not like your typical L A right. douche. You right, know? he's very he's aware of L A and he yeah. enjoys all the excesses but. He's not that's not what he's all about. Right, you know. Right. But there's a beautiful car in that movie. There is. It's a Porsche. Yes. Nine
1: yes. eleven. Do you remember what
0: year it was? Where did I you guys get that car? I can't
1: remember. I'm not sure who scored that vehicle, but it was gorgeous. A sweet convertible. Yeah. There's
0: a ton of shots of you guys driving up yeah. and down the PCH. Yeah. It's
1: just you have a car like that, you've got to use it. Yeah. Cinematic gold. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um yeah, I, I haven't seen the film in a long time because there are points at which I'm just like, you know, like anything, just like the music, you cringe when you hear parts of it and then parts of it you're really, like, happy about.
0: I thought, that, you know, overall, they did a really good job yeah. with the music. Um, I, for, I, I, you know, I read last night, I wanted to mention it but i forget who there's a series of people responsible for the original music yeah and one of the songs is interestingly enough titled q mm, which interesting I, recently because i'm into all kinds of crazy yeah. podcasts yeah. there's a faint there's an obscure cult movie from the 70s called q the, the winged w- serpent you fucking seen this Dude, movie i know all things horror yes. get the fuck Terrible. out of here yeah. i can't nobody's seen this movie well. I thought I was going
1: to surprise you. No, I know about that. I mean, I didn't have anything to do with the name of the song, but I know the movie. The
0: movie, Q, The Winged Serpent, Uh is based in New York, and uh, it's some kind of flying serpent. Ketzalcoatl, I think. Likes to whack window washers. Yeah. (laughs) there's all these crazy cheap horror scenes of yeah. people on the street level getting splattered with blood from above <laughs> and looking up. And then before you know it it's you know cue taking another one off. But the <laughs> the symbology in that movie is like
1: crazy yeah. in today's
0: time. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, interesting side. Mhm.
1: Yeah, that uh that film was was fun. It was it was it was interesting um to write in that darker material into a story that was going to turn dark, but
0: one of the uh, scenes is they're getting married. Mm. Um, she she has ALS. Yes. Tragically. Yes. Which to get ALS, I've learned this now uh, through other reasons, but to be female and young yeah. and to get ALS, extremely rare. Yes. Usually you have about a three-year window. Yes. Um, the reason I know about ALS is because I watch a comedy podcast mm. they do from the comedy store on Sunset. It's called Kill Tony and it's a uh, very famous comedian, Tony Hinchcliffe. They bring up open micers. And if you do good enough, they make you a regular. Mm-hmm. And one of the regulars that was sort of made yep. in mob terms last year is a guy that has ALS. Really? His name's Michael Lehrer. He's hilarious. He's from Queens, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, he from some random thing was my very first twitter follower I, I only have nine followers so that says a lot uh but because i'm such a huge kill tony fan you know i watch every week on monday 8 p.m um you know he's an incredible writer he writes a ton of really good stuff one of the skits he wrote that was recently uh it was jack ruby's steakhouse oh god
2: during the plague One of my favorite restaurants is still open. It's Jack Ruby's Steakhouse.
3: Old world traditional style Italian cuisine from the man who killed the man who killed the president.
0: (laughs) His actions may have been ordered by Jimmy Hoffa, but his dishes are
1: all, in a word, Ruby. Mobster, assassin, fall guy, we may never know, but even the Warren Commission can agree on this. You'll never have better garlic mashed
0: potatoes. Zagat says, "Zag Ruby sounds like a stage name, and these dishes are Ruby's stage, as well as the police basement where he gunned down Lee Harvey Oswald. What did Oswald know? Something about candy or the recipe to this tremendous ragu. We'll never know, so judge for yourself. Lobsters just like me and you violent foodies. So, you know, it's going to be a good sauce Um, Another one is a lot of people don't know this but on 9-11 the very first flight was American Airlines Flight 11. Mm -hmm. There was two very famous people that were supposed to be on that flight. One of them was Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. The other one was Seth MacFarlane.
1: Oh, I didn't realize Seth MacFarlane was supposed to be on that flight. Yes, nobody does. Okay.
0: Nobody does that's not balls deep into conspiracy like I am. Yeah. So he did another skit where what if Mark Wahlberg (laughs) was on the plane, Uh single-handedly fought all the terrorists and, you know, took back control. And, you know, I I can't do the impression. It's hilarious. You have to go check it out. But it's very, very funny. So, you know, ALS is a horrible way yeah. to die. It's yes. horrible. And it's it takes a long time. Yeah. It's very tragic. Who – so does Randall have some knowledge of ALS? Like, wh- how do you give this character ALS? As
1: I recall uh, in, uh, you know, uh, the, in real life – which is the bane of a writer's existence. You know, when someone writes a script that goes, but in real life, this happened in real life. I believe, uh, the person who inspired that character had, uh, MS. Very similar. Um, Yeah. Very similar. Uh, but it just seemed to me, I mean, I have some experience with MS because, uh, my high school girlfriend's mother had it. So I, you know, we've been together for a couple of years. So I was seeing it. And, uh, you know, I just was like, well, a lot of people know MS, but a lot of times it's not as uh, it, it, it doesn't degrade the person as much as this particular situation was. So I, I just I looked into it. And I was like, let's let's just up. The stakes for the average viewer, so they can you know see a, a and understand immediately that this disease is incurable and and, and fatal. So I looked it up, and,
0: and this is one of the things that was not in the first draft. It Was
1: not. It was I believe it was multiple sclerosis in the first draft. Uh, um, interesting. Yeah, and Scotty Thompson, who plays the girl who has it, I know uh, attended some. Um, I believe it was group therapy for people with the. Um, disease so she as a, you know she as an actress went into that. It's um, startlingly accurate mm-hmm. uh, One of the first things that
0: happens is you start to trip, and fall down yeah that happens in the yeah. movie quite a bit yeah. it's a very big theme yeah. in the movie you know but the the rage against the dying of the light mm-hmm. scene yeah that was written in um yeah. you know everybody's gotta die right right and it's just a matter of when yep and it's, as dark as the movie is it's a celebration of life at right. the same time and especially the end with the dolphins mm-hmm. um am i crazy because the end you know it's uh it's not really, it's sort of implied that he's chasing his brother who, you know, he made this promise right. to into the ocean to yeah. sort of fulfill the promise. Yes. And then the very end credits, it rolls, it says, uh, Adam still lives in Malibu. Right. He's with the dolphins every yeah. day. Something to, yeah. that, to that extent.
1: Yeah. Uh, as I recall, there was a scene in the film that we couldn't shoot because of logistics, Uh, but he takes um, Scotty's character out uh, in the ocean and uh, there are dolphins out there and she desperately wants to swim with them, but she's already sick at that point. He doesn't want to let her go in the water because he's afraid she's going to drown or whatever, but she insists and swims with them. And, you know, I just was like, uh, something about that seemed appropriate to me it's the human human body entering an alien atmosphere and living yes. in it for a moment either the way that you slip into death you know so but her but she was able to swim in it and was surrounded by things that live in that place and I, it, it, unfortunately we never shot it and so we also missed a big chance because we were during the wedding ceremony on the beach while we were setting up we were almost ready to go a pot of dolphins appeared out in the water, as
0: they do in the Pacific between here and Catalina.
1: Just jumping, and I was like, "Can we roll?" And uh, you know, just we couldn't do it. But it would have been amazing. It would have been a great like. It might know, happy have, yeah. Accident.
0: It would have been a, a production value, very
1: big production value. But uh, yeah, it didn't happen,
0: unfortunately. Having sailed to Catalina a number of times, it's very common for dolphins sure. to ride with yep. you uh, on the bow. Yep. that would have, you know. But the dolphin itself, you know, it's regarded as one of the more smart uh, mammals. You know, they've got a surface to breathe. Yes. And just like we were talking about earlier about spiritual enlightenment, Mm -hmm. um, the allegory of Plato's cave. Right. Right. You know, you guys in a cave, that's all they know their whole life. One of them escapes. Yeah. Sees the real world. Much like a dolphin surfacing. Yeah can't possibly fathom outer space right it only knows the underwater world right. yet has to come up to breathe every once mm-hmm. in a while to encounter this world yep. plato's cave analogy is it's so relevant today because the shadows on the wall consume the majority of people and to the point where there's they they don't want the outside world yep. they don't want to escape yep. the cave it's comfortable in there and when you do escape the cave and you try to tell the other people hey Look, come on here. Yeah. They kill you.
1: Yeah, they're mad. Yeah, they they cut you into pieces or put you on a cross. But
0: dolphins very famously, you know, they they're probably one of the few species that can actually communicate mm-hmm. with humans. They have their own songs, yep. their sonar. They're yep. Really incredibly intelligent animals yes. even though they live underwater. So, I, you know, to me the metaphor is, right? But uh,
1: yeah, I I was in I mean, yeah, I, 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 for some reason that seemed important, and, and I'm glad it, at least it it was it remained in in some in some way.
0: I'm glad you brought the wedding scene because that's a beautiful segue. There's a a person that makes a cameo in this movie yeah. from a very famous band, mm-hmm. one of used to be maybe still is one of my favorite bands, System of a Down. Yeah, love them or hate them, right. you know they're all Armenian. Yep, uh, they are crazy live. Yes, um, they, you know the music you can't knock it's mm-hmm. it's incredible yeah um the bass player shabo mm-hmm. is in the film he plays the preacher yeah he's fits the part perfectly yes. he's got the crazy go-to yes uh my favorite line though is and i want to this is what i'm dying to know uh-huh. if it was written or if it was improv okay so there's the wedding scene he says, you know, something to the effect of, let's thank Yahweh, Buddha, Jesus, Krishna. <laughs> yes.
1: And at the very end, he says, system of a down. That's, that was definitely Shabo. Yeah, he came and he wanted to do that line. And it made the final cut. Oh, it's great. Yeah, of course. Were there any alternate takes with that? I don't it? believe so. I think he came. I think he came. He said, I want to say this. It was approved by Randall and I they may have taken a couple of uh shot t- couple of different takes, but it was the same every time. Yeah. And
0: Shava also, you know, is very involved in other film projects. Yeah. He's an actor, yes financer, director, yep. all kinds of stuff. Yeah, um, so he
1: understood the process and he was he was very cool. He just sat out and waited for waited for his time on screen and otherwise he was just sitting up on the deck and you could walk up and just sit and chat for a while he was a cool guy I just you know the last thing I
0: think of when I go down the list of uh, Yahweh Elohim Buddha <laughs> Krishna <laughs> System, System of, of a, a Down, down? Yeah. okay yeah <laughs> why not it could be Rocks worse right? gods right yeah but it you know being that the characters in the movie are in a very similar mm-hmm. band it might as well be System of a Down right. they're rich and famous right and, you know played a lot yeah Darren Malakian uh, gave guitar lessons uh, and there's some old footage of him you know he was a guitar teacher oh you know, really at one point you know but you know when darren gets on stage he's like not darren anymore yeah. you know i mean yeah the his persona on stage much like an actor or whatever you know it's just so intense and so crazy yep. whereas serge is more kind of level-headed mm-hmm. intellectual thinking shavo's just
1: shavo yep. playing the
0: bass you know the drummer's killer
1: yeah but um yeah so a lot of parallels there i thought yeah yeah, that was uh, it was very cool to have but him on you, board.
0: But you, to me, you seem like a guy that never dreamed of moving to Hollywood. No. It just sort of happened. Yes. And it happened around this film. Yeah. In particular. Right. So what was it like that first, you're in Chicago, you're going to jump to Hollywood. Were you excited? Were you like, oh, I'm just going to go there for a little while and then move back? Did you ever think you'd still be here?
1: No, I really, I I didn't know. I, all I knew was that I didn't know and that it was... You know, I I didn't have any illusions that I was going, I mean, I I was, it was in my 30s. So I wasn't thinking, I'm going to move there and get famous. Like I had obviously not gotten famous at that point. So I was just like, I'm going to just do my best. And so, no, but I don't, I don't think I expected it to play out the way that it did. So,
0: I mean, I dreamed of moving to Hollywood as a teenager. Yeah. Uh, Hollywood as a bygone era of golden greatness. Like, right. I don't know. Did you see once upon a time in Hollywood? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, just the whole era of that time and point in the sixties, mm. Laurel Canyon, Charles Manson, yeah. all the things that were going on, you know, Hollywood has a very rich occult history right. as well. Yes. You know, um, there was a very famous, um, base on lookout mountain. I believe Jared Leto bought the property for 50 million a couple mm. of years ago but people like John Wayne, Marilyn Monroe, they would go up there and cut basically propaganda films. It was an it was an, an entire film studio, recording studio right in the heart of Laurel Canyon hmm. on Lookout Mountain. And it was going on at the same exact time as the Laurel Canyon explosion. Yeah. And you right. know, everybody thinks that the hippies started in San Francisco, but it really started in Laurel Canyon hmm. right here in Hollywood. Those guys sort of migrated up north. And it turned into what it turned into. Yeah. But, you know, it's crazy because most people that wind up out here always dream of moving out here. And you're one of these guys that sort of had a job and you came out and you right. stayed. You right. Know? But Hollywood today versus that bygone era of the 60s and 70s, how much it's changed. And yeah. just the culture and the environment. I mean,
1: what is your take on it? I mean... Yes, it, 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 it's it's almost like it's almost uh, is is ingrained in America, the American mind, this like golden Hollywood as uh, like the Wild West is it's it's just like it's an archetype that we have. It's just like, you know, it's almost a genre in our imaginations. But when I moved out here, I was expecting very vapid. People very plastic people. I was just terrified that I was not going to have like authentic interactions with people anymore. But it turns out, of course, that that's not true. That there are very awesome people here. And um, but because I never, I never really believed that that shining city existed. I don't miss it when I'm here. I mean, I still when I go to Hollywood, I can still see some beauty in the history, even though there's trash and you know, urine and bums and all that kind of stuff. Um and
0: the TikTok millionaires because yeah. this is how it seems yeah. to me. I don't I don't live here, but I, I commute. Uh you know, the TikTok movement, the younger generation coming up, mm-hmm. it's so everything Hollywood never was. The right. the fourth wall completely broken. Sure. You're just dancing on TikTok and posting selfies and you're a trillionaire. Yeah. And now you you got all these hype houses where, you know, these kids do these TikTok videos they're taking over yeah and it's crazy because like one of the things that happened recently i wanted to get your take on mm-hmm. was sag eliminated health insurance mm-hmm. and it's a big talking point in the lefty liberal uh podcast yeah but you know it just like it, if that doesn't say it all yeah. right there yeah. you know and it's, if you recall and man i'm just talking so much here but uh, uh robert downey jr because you met we mentioned brian schaefer right he was on Howard Stern not too long ago. Mm. And they were, you know, Scorsese came out and said, you know, there's no cinema anymore. It's just action right. heroes. Right, which RDJ got you know pretty yeah. upset about, yeah. and it was a very public thing, right on Stern. But yeah. that's, I mean, it says it all. Yeah, you know that with SAG taking away health insurance. Are you in the SAG? After
1: I, I am not. I'm not an actor, so I don't. Uh, I don't deal with them. I am not WGA. Not yet. I hope to change that soon. But um, no, I'm not a part of any guild. I around. mean, where do you see the industry going in terms of cinema? We, I don't know. I mean, we. We uh, dictate. We dictate that, unfortunately, by virtue of what we consume. Um, when I first came out here, uh, before this, you know, I'd done the script. The script went away to pre-production. You know, as far as I knew, it was never going to get made. And now I'm in Los Angeles, and what do I do? Um, I took a job at a uh, visual effects house, not because I'm a visual effects artist, but because they needed somebody to run drives around town and, you know, um, drop off footage at labs. Uh, but I was adopted by the grip and electric guys, these old, older gentlemen. And uh, so I started to learn lighting and grip and then eventually transitioned into that world. So I also do key grip work here, a weird thing so um i've had an opportunity to work you know i'm the key grip for the hollywood reporter roundtables so so i get a lot of exposure to like these a-list celebrities and stuff like that but i also you know i've worked on when vine was a thing i worked on a feature film that involved like kids who were just vine stars that were just like now they're in a movie for some reason and it's (laughs) a little i mean i don't know between those two worlds of like oh here's you know here's Today I'm working with Al Pacino and Martin Scorsese. I'm lighting them. And then tomorrow I'm lighting you know, some 19-year-old kid who does makeup videos.
0: And this is the heart of the transition because Al Pacino, a gifted actor, creating art in right. his own way. This right. is what Hollywood was always about. Yep. That, the culture of celebrity was you were an artist right. that had some art to provide to the world. Sure, the, the culture of celebrity in Hollywood now is just there is no art. It's yeah. just me. And I'm good looking, and right. I'm on TikTok or whatever. Right.
1: Well, I mean, I, I, I am not a cultural. Um, I, I'm not like the bellwether of culture or anything like that. But I know that the more and more uh, we are uprooted from the basic foundation of what makes art the allegory and all these types of things, the less inclined we are to enjoy stories that are that hearken to anything that's deep and mythological because we have no grounding. I mean, my girlfriend uh, works in a public school system here in the Los Angeles area. I won't say where, but in, you know, it's not in LA, but in the surrounding area, uh, she's working with juniors and seniors who have no concept of um symbolism no concept of symbolism don't understand like do you see that this is a parallel with the garden of eden eden well what's the garden of eden right i mean if you don't if you don't if if you're not interested in mythology if you're not interested in that type of stuff then you're not interested in story so it's much more interesting to watch a kid pratfall or you know it's quick it's instantaneous
0: instant gratification right
1: and to quote quentin tarantino
0: you want subversion on a massive level there's this famous clip where they're talking about top gun and how it's one of the greatest scripts ever written with no writer would ever say that but when you look at it through that lens of oh my god this is a story of a man against his own sexuality
3: (laughs) it's the greatest script ever written
0: and subversion on a massive level you know the art of writing and I always saw you as a guy who was an actor, a performer, a writer, a director, and then, you know, you wind up in Hollywood on a lark and you transition into a different role, you know? Yeah. But I as a guy that misses the old Hollywood right. greatly, you know, right. I long for the old days of once upon a time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It's a mythical, magical place right. where you could reinvent yourself, much like Las Vegas. Yeah. You know, and oh, Seattle yeah. was always the outpost for mm-hmm. the last resort for criminals on their way right. out of town you could reinvent yourself into this and this is something Jim Carrey talks about a lot where you know he's had this whole spiritual renaissance love him or hate him Jim Carrey sure. whatever but when you create a persona create a character that you use as a vehicle you get pigeonholed into that much yeah. like Hunter S Thompson or any of these other guys right and you know the choices you make when you're improvising very telling and you know once you once that persona gets out of control you're stuck and you better be very careful, you know, but that's Hollywood and that's the old Hollywood, the swingers, Hollywood, right in a nutshell. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the thought of cinema going away, I mean, most great indie films are sort of passion projects that were funded by people that had studio gigs or whatever. When that all goes away, what are we left with?
1: I, 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 probably video games is my guess. Yeah. Twitch, Twitch. I mean, um, yeah, I, I I don't know. It will be either interesting or not at all interesting to see where we end up. I'm not sure. Um, all I know is that <laughs> narcissism seems to be on the rise, and I feel like that's kind of... Uh, I mean, you're talking about subversion. I, I have the feeling that I'm a little too old to understand the importance of memes in general that the kids love to post and trade with each other, but that appears to me to be like their idea of subversion, but with... Well- to make a callback again
0: yeah. we're talking we started out talking about bagger Vance, yeah, you can watch it on one level in the ego mind and see a guy playing golf making free will free choices, but when you really dive into it, the character name, the ties to spiritual enlightenment that you know to quote uh, somebody else because I'm not this brilliant, but you know the um the freedom from choice mm-hmm. versus the illusion of choice mm-hmm. and when you really get into what is this place, what are we doing here, yeah. Am I really in control, or is all this happening for a reason? You know, fate versus free will, that kind of thing. It's all, you know, very similar parallels. Sure.
1: That's interesting, Elliot. Yeah, I don't know. I I just said the word narcissist, and you talked about the uh, freedom of choice. I mean, in some way, that's the dark side of that Kabbalistic tree of life. On one side, you have the person who's given up or has surrendered and no longer makes choice and is so and is thus elevated and then you have on the other side the dark part of that this narcissism someone who's so i mean we see it on a political level these days we see it everywhere we you know if you look for it you will see it and a narcissist is really just a reactive thing. They don't have... There's no choice involved. You can pretty much play them like a string if you just, you know, you say one thing and they are going to respond 99% of the time without choice just respond automatically. The robot mind. Yeah. So we're caught between those two different things.
0: Animals masquerading as people. Yeah. Interesting. But what is the scene in The Matrix? The Oracle Delphi. Yeah. Know thyself. That's true. The journey inward. Yeah. Right? Which inevitably leads to you know the disregard the disregard of material wealth right you know to give up your worldly possessions and realize they don't matter right much like a near-death experience where you come back and you say it's the strangest thing i didn't care about this place at all anymore Yeah. you know but we're so tied down like gravity to these passions and ideals and things that you were passionate about as a, as a kid and you thought oh the thought of me as 18-year-old eight, Elliot saying, oh, there's going to come a day where I don't play guitar for months on end, mm-hmm. I would have laughed at. I would sure. have said, never happen. It'll never happen. Here I am. Yeah. I barely play guitar. I barely ri- – I haven't written a song in years. It's just gone away from me, you know? And it used to bother me, you right. know? But it's probably not uh, – of a spiritual level? It's more laziness Well, it could anything. be laziness.
1: I mean, it could be, uh, I think it's Stephen King, and on writing says, like, uh, when you're not actually writing, the boys in the basement are working on an idea. Stephen so, King, one of the most you know, fascinating people yes. to ever live. So who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe you are, I tell you know, when I'm doing the dishes, I can still say I'm writing. I'm just thinking about, I'm either thinking about or not thinking about a story, and I'm either thinking about that story or not thinking about it because it benefits later on getting back to the page. So who knows? Maybe the most amazing song is going to come out of this break that you had. This is... The whole lifespan, right?
0: Yeah. You're At a young age, you're a conduit and you think you're a genius, but right. it's really just happening to yep. you. Seth Gibson has a great quote from his podcast where he says, I felt like the songs were just falling into my lap. Mm-hmm. And that's great art yep. when, it, when it happens. Yep. And then you have this whole middle years where you're a corporate slut. And right. You're just in it for the money and it just nothing matters. Right. And then you, you finally hit the low, the bottom of the barrel, and you have this renaissance in your later years of wisdom art sure. whatever you want to call it you know but the path that we're all on you know and uh, people have this uh insane thought that they're going to live after they die and people like create trusts and wills and they say after i die i want this and this and this to happen and when you think about the constitution it's the same thing and in, in there it says For ourselves and our posterity, Mm -hmm. which is our future generations. Mm -hmm. But anybody that has a dad, which is everybody knows, you know, you can only live up to that so far. Most people rebel against it. And once you're gone, it ain't, you don't have a choice anymore. But yet we all have this insane need to sort of live after death and to you know, propagate or keep, keep on our legacy. You know, Oh, I've got to create, I've got to hurry. I'm out of time. I've got to create this legacy to leave for after I die. Yeah. Which, you know, when you're real, there's a great story. It's about a monk and I think it's in Korea and I heard it today on a podcast I listened to and, uh, he's talking about training other monks and how they, he has a candle and, uh, he's like, I can put this candle out with my mind. And uh, the students go, okay, you want to see me do it? Yeah, okay, all right, I'm going to furrow my brow and look like I'm concentrating. And then the candle goes out. And he says to them, would you like to learn how to do that? And they say yes. And so they give up. They give up all their beliefs and rationale and they forget their training. And they want to learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. And then the next week or whatever, another candle. He's like, I'm going to count down from 30 and when i get to 0 it's going to go out 30 29 0 goes out mm. and they realize oh this is a trick candle <laughs> and the the lesson is is that oh you all gave up everything you were yeah. training and believing in except for two of you who decided you know to be brave enough to escape the cave mm. you know mm. i don't know it, it it landed with me
1: No, it's, so. that's fascinating i you're right. I, I think that I think that our early. I mean, as embarrassing as it is to listen to what you played me today, at least I knew that I didn't have any conceit to make money with it or anything like that. I, I did it with Seth just because I it came from a place that I felt like it needed to happen. And then, you know, I had some I had some lazy years and some years of like thinking about what's the best way, how am I going to reach a market, and I've kind of just given up with that you know I've given up with that I don't need fame I don't need anything and now maybe who knows maybe something good comes and this is Hollywood
0: in a nutshell yeah because everybody chucks their integrity out right. the window to make a quick buck right or to invent a persona to become right. famous or get money and much like Jim Carrey they get to that point and they go Oh, I'm still miserable, right? You know, and it sounds so posh and so fucking yeah. entitled to say that. Yeah. You know, oh, if only the poor people could realize that. You know, oh right. my God, it's, you can't even start to say that shit. <laughs> but you know, the old Hollywood, you know, of, it just seems like it's gone away. Yeah, you know, and it's different, and it's it's changed so dramatically. To
1: well. Here's an experiment for you or anyone uh, who is listening that has an old film camera in their uh, closet. Uh, Go out, grab your cell phone, take a picture of what you think is beautiful with your cell phone, then pull out your film camera, focus, think about the light, aim, fire. I guarantee you that the film picture that you end up having to have developed and wait for and stuff like that is going to be far more beautiful than the one that you just shot off the hip on your cell phone. I mean there's something about there's something it feels like a memory. I mean it's film, you know, what do to part of me makes you know part of me uh, about the nostalgia for Hollywood makes me think it's because it was shot on film. It's because it had a different look. It had a more uh, intention behind it. You couldn't do a thousand takes. You only had so much film footage. It cost a you know amount of money to burn it. So you made sure it was perfect. It was beautiful, and you didn't color correct. You know, you didn't do all this tweaking and cinema. You know, all these graphics and stuff afterwards. I don't know. Uh, it might be something just you know we're watching films at 24 frames a second and that feels like a that feels like nostalgia and watching Star Wars and digital is just not quite the same it's gotten so
0: good that it's like hyper real yeah and now you long for the old days of actual yeah. realism yes uh, I mean, greatest iPhone camera, you know, there. This is the age of computer aided right. photography, right. where your cell phone takes a picture, it measures the light, it does all the yep. filters, Instagram, yep. all that shit. Film is, you know, natural. I, I saw a thing online recently, I don't know, it's the world's first selfie, and it's the very early days of photography. Mm-hmm. I probably butchered this, but I think it was 1848. Okay, somebody set up a camera took a picture of himself and this is the world's first selfie Yeah, and it's grainy and it looks like shit, you know, yeah, that's how long photography has been around. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, the art of capturing light and the photographic medium, you know, has always been such an art. And you're talking about film being expensive. This is the art of the limitation. Right. I believe a famous Dutch artist, I think its name is De still or something like that. I'm butchering this, but you know, limiting becomes a creative force. Yes. Like, um, a lot of blues guys they had one string three strings a horrible guitar made the most beautiful music ever um you know when you limit yourself it forces creation right in a certain sense yeah and for years it was like that in film and then we got to the point where digital was so good you don't even need to film anything you can literally cgi everything right and everybody's doing green screen yeah and it looks real but it's not natural
1: yeah and that's crazy. Yep, it is. Yeah, you know, it it makes me think it's like uh, screenplay writing is so hard, even though it's ninety pages, because you are you are confined to a certain three act structure. You've got an idea for a story. Great, it's good to have an idea. It's good to know you're going to write a screenplay. But it's how you work within the limitations of that three act structure, how you fit everything into that ninety pages, and make it work that really. Brings the artist out in you. You know, just blather. You know, you don't know, throw a hundred eighty-page, hundred eighty-page stream of consciousness riff down on paper and call it a screenplay.
0: And and the art of writing two stories at the same time—one yeah. in the dark, one in the light—and right. on a surface level, it you can watch it and it means one thing. Right. You watch it on the hidden level, it means a whole other yep. thing that is never ever seen on the other side. Yep. Fascinating. Yeah. It, it, to me it's just there's um i've been i've been really into jeff buckley lately mm-hmm. he died at you know a very young age and um there's a great concert of him in germany 95 that's on youtube it's shop pro it's got pro audio the this connection you have as a kid with some kind of spiritualness especially when it comes to creating things creating music art whatever writing mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely felt like that. Um, I feel like I've seen a lot of other people that seem to be incredibly creative and expressive at a very young age. And the older you get, the harder it is to hang on to until you have this renaissance, maybe late in life. Um, But watching Jeff Buckley, he's just a kid, you know. But they opened this show in Frankfurt 95. I mean, the, the minute he opens his mouth to sing, he just changes. He's like ethereal. He's like an angel. And But in between sets, it's like immature jokes. And sure. This is just a kid. How, right. how does he have the wisdom of a thousand years of a sage at
1: such a young age? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that is a fascinating question. I, I mean, I, I have the same... I, uh, I'm much more closely associated with a, a literary writer than I am with, obviously, a musician. But uh, I know that there's a, you know, it's an old adage. It's like the hook hand in the in the vehicle's door. I don't know where it starts, but I'll just tell you my version of this lie, which is, uh, you know, I, I had a professor in uh, my creative writing class who said, um, do you like the story that you just wrote? And then, you know, hopefully you say, yeah, I do. And then they say, good, because that's the story you're going to be writing for the rest of your life. And I find that that's true for uh, my own hackery. I'm, I'm always telling the same story again and again, just with a different framing. But people like Seth Gibson, who you've had on this show, when I listen to his lyrics, it feels to me like he is... Uh, He's free of that sort of um, repetition. I mean, he really lives and breathes like organic, just like, yeah, he feels like a sage. Um, And I think uh, that's probably true of more musicians than writers. I mean, let me throw this back at you because I'm actually curious. When you're writing your lyrics, not your music, but when you're writing your lyrics, do you find yourself returning to the same well or not?
0: I, it depends on the intention. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of people write art, and music, art, movies uh, with the intention of making money or being commercially viable. The really great art is the last thing on their mind uh, to me. Uh, but the, the idea that you are just a vessel through which this, some conduit of uh, creative expression flows at a very young age, you think you're a genius, mm-hmm. that you're writing all this amazing stuff and then, you, you know some of us get older and some of us think, God, where did that all go? You right. know? And why was it like, there's a, you know, a lot of kids that write about love songs that are like premonitions. They come true later in life. They, they're, they seem to be tapped into some kind of source that they don't They themselves don't even know that they're tapped into it just kind of happens. Mm. And everybody, you know, but this is the, this whole idea of the death of the ego. What is reality? Are we really who we think we are? I mean, what is the point of all of this? Um, and, you know, what? what is life without art? And, right. you know, I think a lot of the greatest writers, you know, they sort of are inspired in a flash of creativity and it just comes to them in a dream or all at once, you know, in this flash of inspiration. Right. And to be incredibly ambitious, too, requires youth, you know, yeah. because the older you get, you got more to lose. True. And it's harder and harder. And speaking of incredibly ambitious, for those who don't know, Seth Gibson, you guys collaborated on a very – uh, intense project a number of years ago. Yes, we did. At the time, I had no idea what you were trying to do, mm-hmm. and it made no sense to me. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but this is Jesse Stratton and Seth Gibson. It's mm-hmm. for anybody playing along at home. Um, they collaborated together on an enormous project of great ambition, mm-hmm. full of intense lyrics and music blending together in sort of an audio play.
1: I guess is the best way I could describe it. It was called. It was it was called Tristram's slumber. Tell uh, me what that means. Uh, oh God, you're gonna test my uh, you're gonna test my age and my, and my mind. Um, I honestly, <laughs> I had a reason for that at one point. Uh, Tristram was uh, affiliated with the Knights of the Round Table, I believe. And really, the the story is um, leaving me. He went off on some kind of quest, leaving behind his lover. Um, and I believe that, God, dude, this could be totally wrong. I believe when he was when he was returning. If, he had, if the ship that he was on had white sails, he was alive and victorious. If it had black sails, he had died. And in some way or another, I believe that the wrong sails were lit, raised and she killed herself. And then turned out that he had lived. And then he sort of, it was a Romeo and Juliet sort of situation. So. Well, and uh,
0: this is a callback to your professor writing
1: the same story. Yeah.
0: Maybe there really is only one story. <laughs> it's always the same in many different shades, many right. different forms. I knew this project as
1: ectora that's right yes
0: what what does that mean
1: oh god dude i don't even remember why we named that. I, it that the fog of time has obscured uh obscured that for me i can't remember
0: but both of you guys as very young 20 somethings working day jobs uh, somewhere on the east coast maryland or maryland new yeah. york mm-hmm. um with a, nothing but a four track a guitar no money And just pure ambition, inspiration, and creative drive Developed this flash of inspiration That wound its way into (laughs) this album Yes Now, the only files I have are of horrible quality I'm going to play a couple of my favorite songs Okay,
2: okay I don't want to leave They're never going to let me go after this Shh Come here Blue star upon your field of green. He's watched you reach for the sun. Spiraling. He's seen you grow. He's seen you thrive.
0: So that you know, doesn't make a lot of sense when you hear it the first time. But if you listen to it enough times, and this is what I was gonna get at, I don't. Do you remember the first time you played this for me? I don't. No, I really okay. don't. It's etched in my mind because really? I felt so horrible uh-huh. that it, I traumatized myself. <laughs> You played a a handful of selections when we were living in Fredonia, and my initial reaction was, I thought you were doing a comedy. Uh, Sure, sure. And I didn't get it at the time. It didn't make any sense. Uh But revisiting this over the last year and and listening to how deep – and, you know, the stuff you're writing about is just like what we're talking about. The same old story – uh, you know, warrior going off to fight a battle the come back you know um right. love um death, sure. all these deep themes that you know you would think as being twenty years old you're just you know you 're just not mature enough to really understand, but when you actually you know read those words and you listen and you let them sink in right. if you give yourself the time to to listen to it objectively. This is one of many songs, but it, it's just a great, incredible undertaking in terms of recording, yeah. which is where I'm fascinated with it sure. because you have a lot of different voice actors. There, you, you, obviously, you wrote the entire thing yeah. before you even recorded right. a, a lick of it, right? Which is a, it's a lot of dialogue and it's a lot of writing, and the marriage of Seth Gibson, who composed the music for yes. this, really, you know, it blended well. If you give yourself the time to sit down with it, to me, looking back on it it gets better with time and I'm, I'm finding a whole new appreciation for
1: it that I never had before. Wow. Elliot, I didn't realize I, I appreciate, appreciate that.
0: Well, I'm curious to know how you feel about it looking back because I know a lot of songs that I wrote 20 years ago. I can't even listen to oh, them. Oh yeah. I hate them.
1: Yeah. No, that was painful. That was, that was, that was very painful. Um, it's, it's, you know, I'm not a musician. I, I uh, that album was done by virtue of Seth's, um, his willingness to get on board and, you know, just the, my mania and and not I think neither one of us realized the uh, the undertaking that we were, you know, it was one of those just we, we moved a mountain by virtue of not realizing we were attempting that feat, you know,
0: that initial spark, the Genesis, you had this this burning candle, this burning flame. I have to get this out into the world. It's inside of me. I'm going to express it, that to me, it was like, you know, Seth didn't have that because he didn't write the project. But when you brought it to him to compose music for it, it's like one
1: candle lighting another. And then you guys are both, you
0: you have this both dual flame of
1: creativity. Yes. And and I went ever stepping on him. He he was allowed to kind of do, I mean, he brought life to it. So one of the things
0: that impresses me most about this record is your incredible Foley work. Sound effects, footsteps, doors closing. You go for a drive, you hear the car. You hear the radio (laughs) in the car. None of it you ripped like you can do today. Today you can get online. You can get samples for all this stuff. And if you have the kind of creative drive that you had back then, it's incredibly easy to do something like that. When you guys did this, you had to record everything, Mm -hmm. every little thing. And the song I'm about to play, I think, really uh, exemplifies... The marriage of musical composition foley work incredible writing dialogue and
2: uh here we go the second demon came with nothing masquerading as the american mecca's source of repentance she came to the budding priestess queen knowing she feared the power she was wielding was vain and corrupted with greed the second appeared homeless Inspire pity to shake confidence with bizarreity plant the seed murderous intent in the garb of the most wretched and innocent. Do you have any change? Please bear some change. Change. Have any change? Please, change. Something like, what kind of tip is that, you know? (laughs) Do you have any change? Get out of here. I have some change. Don't. Don't encourage these fucking bums. She's a human being. Here you are. Oh, child. You have a gift. You're wasting it. What? Your friends. Your friends at home. They're bad for you. They want to hurt you. You're on the wrong road. How do you know? I know things. You're on the wrong road. That isn't true. I love my friends and they love me.
1: tells you some nonsense and you're taking it in like it's the truth.
2: You don't understand. It's not just Sit up. Look at me. Open open your eyes. Did, did you take these? You're not supposed to be here. Oh, yeah. You guys! What, man? I think we got a situation here. I think she just took an overdose of sleeping pills. Oh Come on, man. Oh my god, why? Just call 911, alright? Here's the label. Tell them I think she took the whole box.
0: hell you guys ever pulled that off on a four track (laughs) we're talking multi-guitar tracks many voiceovers i mean all the foley stuff for anybody that's not a boomer like us that doesn't remember four tracks you had four tracks it was a cassette tape you could bounce right you could bounce three tracks to one but then you've only got three tracks and now you do another two tracks you can bounce that to one and then you can bounce both those to a single channel it's a mixing Nightmare <laughs> and to mix all that that cleanly on a four track, maybe it was an eight track. I don't know. Do you I, remember? I
1: think it was a four track. Uh, I remember as I recall, Seth was doing it on the fly. I think we were moving out of the apartment fairly soon, maybe even the day after he mixed it down, and he was just sitting there the, through the whole project, just turning knobs as it played through. It Is it
0: just... fair to say Seth mixed this entire... He mixed it
1: on the fly, yeah. As it played, he just mixed based on what he remembered was happening on uh, on each track, on the four-track and, yeah, the whole album. I mean, an incredible undertaking. Yeah.
0: Anybody uh, that knows four-tracks will have a deep respect. When you really listen to all the things that are going on on that and, you know, when you do bounce, you lose quality. Right. Things start to get a little jumbled. The reason why that is skipping is because the only copy I have came from a CD, mm-hmm. which if anybody remembers CDs, they used to skip like that. Yeah. And when they, they would do that when you were burning them into your hard hard drive. That's the unfortunate case uh in this particular example.
1: I, I think that yeah, I think probably the only existing copy of it is probably the CD. Actually, I do I think I bl- I think I have the f- original four track tape still. I still have that original recorded four track.
0: Well, 525 Five Records would love to house that as uh, Yeah, uh, a I'd gladly hand relic. it to you. Okay.
1: Please, yeah. Um, you know, I'm
0: building kind of a library of Alexandria master tapes sure. and that's one of them it's that would yours. be great to have. It's yours, yeah. I mean, when do you remember starting to write this record?
1: Oh, um, God, I don't. Uh, I don't remember. Yes, I do. I do remember um, sitting down and just. It was. Uh, I was trying to find my. I was trying to find my equilibrium again, and I gave myself uh, the liberty of writing bad poetry, and so that was it. I just wrote bad poetry, and then it was, you know, and then. Uh, some dialogue. And I was like, Seth, let's just do this, man. I mean, and and I convinced him to do the first song on the album, which was sort of a, as I recall, it was like just kind of a Celtic sounding guitar piece. And then, uh, hey, let's just do one more. Let's just do one more. And by I think the third day he realized he'd signed up for something even bigger. So yeah, it was just a bunch of poetry that I would never show to the world now, but I was crazy enough to.
0: Exactly how I feel about every song I wrote when I was that age. Yeah. Were you, did you have a Kubrick style in your head before you even went to the
1: page? I, I largely had an idea of where it was going to go, yes. I mean, I, d- I didn't really realize what I was attempting to write, um, and I did not write well, which was, uh, it was what I thought was a beautiful relationship. Uh, and then looking back on it's like, oh, no, that's highly dysfunctional. You would never want that kind of like just because the stakes are so high, just because you, you know, you, you, you feel like um, there needs to be drama all around you. That's not really a real thing. So, it, you know, now now looking back at it, I'm like, I have the exact opposite of that. And that's. It's wonderful, you know, but at the time I was like, oh, I'm going to write a, I'm going to write a story about real
0: love, you know, because you know so much about real love yeah. when you're 20, at
1: 22 or whatever, you know, but so. I mean,
0: such as the cycle of great art. I mean, when you fall in love, that's the, the muse of many inspiration and creative outlet. Also, when you break up, a grand divorce yes. is also the same inspiration, only the
1: yin and the yang, sure. the exact opposite. yeah, And, uh. Yeah. yeah it was it was to be young and in love. Exactly. It was a post breakup project and I'm glad I exercised it, you know. It was uh... So, yeah, it was uh Seth uh, is the one that made it. I mean, really uh, that thing you could use not a surgeon's scalpel but a butcher knife to edit down some of the stuff I contributed, but the stuff that he did is just
0: incredible. I mean, it's some of the craziest guitar work. Oh my god. That you'll ever hear in your life. Yeah. Who writes that I stuff? I know. I know. And you know, the thing is, he, just like I can't play a lot of the stuff that I think I, was good at the time. Uh, you know, I have an open E song on Welcome to Fredonia, which nobody's ever heard, but you know, it's crazy open tuning, mm-hmm. total improv. Couldn't play that again if I tried. <laughs> Seth, I know for a fact, could not play no, that again if he no. tried. Yet at the time, it just flew like yeah. water, you know, yeah. out of him. And uh, I mean, it's some of the most intense, crazy, just. Experimental composition, it's just a guitar. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's a dude and a guitar and a microphone. And and it's, and he carries it. It's incredible. It really is. Yeah. Note selection and how well it fits. You know, he has this dial tone tone where it's like a feedback for Mm -hmm. a minute. And it sounds just like a phone. Yep. Dial tone. It's yep. like. Eh,
2: and yeah.
0: I know because I know him.
1: I know he didn't plan that. Nope. It just happened. Yeah. He was inspired. I mean, he, he blew me away every time. But yeah. did any
0: dialogue writing occur after the start of this recording? Uh,
1: No, I don't believe so. And, no. I mean, that's
0: that's incredible. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. We're, let's do some DVD director cut okay. commentary on sure. this one.
1: Sure. Uh, the keyboard was done by a girl whose name I still remember though she wasn't a friend of ours her name was Allie Hotmer and she was a music major at Catholic University and we just kind of approached her all wild eyed lack of sleep like hey you play piano right you're in my like my math class and she's like yes who are you I'm like I've got this project I need piano for would you mind and, sh- and she came over to the place like for four days and and, and laid down all the keyboard stuff for it it was uh, it was cool it's the one and only song with keyboards, right? Yeah, uh, I think so. She may have touched on a couple other um, parts in the album, but this is largely the one. Yeah. Um, there's a point at which... I, what I like about this, and uh, not being uh, as musically inclined, uh, what I love about this particular piece is that the guitar and keyboards sort of slide slightly out of uh, tempo. And then catch each other again. It's got a very strange dreamlike feeling about it, which I really liked a lot. So...
2: I'm not doing this. This is ridiculous. You kiss me. It has to be quiet. I love you. I want you.
1: I want and you. And this is Allie's voice, by the way. She did the voiceover stuff as well. Like a real leave. champ. Shh. Spoiler alert, there's a guitar explosion in this Oh, one. my God, there is. Yeah.
0: The synth harmonies. Yeah. It, it's like Van Halen 1984 yes. with yes. crazy guitar. Oh, that no kills me. I know.
1: Him, you know how limes fall out of sync slightly, you know, when your partner is just like not on the same page. And he, he's like, yeah, start to play this, you know, two guitars that are not quite. And then it resolves and it's like, oh, huh, yeah, exactly that. Well, and there's
0: a uh, there's a Portuguese term uh, that's in Bossa Nova. It's called Descefionado. It's slightly out of tune. Uh-huh. That's exactly what this is. Yeah. And it's not always desirable, but sometimes it really works. Yeah.
1: Riff, this is a riff on a terrible song that I wrote. That uh, the tune um, Seth is doing the solo version of that. Well,
0: you know, getting into music theory later in life, almost a lot of great songs are binaries. Yeah, like Eminem, Eight Mile, dun 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 yep. dun, dun, dun 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 dun. You know, it's yep. just two two things. Yep. Now th- this one is not a true binary, right? But the main theme of it is binary. But it makes so much sense on a you know metaphysical level, whatever. You know, two lovers, yin and yang, day day and night, you know, positive, negative. Just it's corollary. Yeah. Seth Gibson. I know. Can do that. I know. It's like two guitars making love. That's, a what, he, that's w-
1: what he was saying. He's like, I'm doing it, or I'm going to reach these guitars into the state of orgasm. Um, and the synth is the mattress. Yes. You're absolutely right. That's what he was going for. And you can hear, I think, the, I think you'll know when the uh, moment of climax comes
0: it's the tension the ascending tension is palpable you know atra plateau yes, this is it. cigarette. <laughs> this is the kind of shit nobody does anymore. No. Right? Everything's so in your face and the mediums are all so visual, you know. This is the age of three three channels on uh, antenna television. Right. Oh, let's, uh, yeah, we're, we're 20 years old. We have nothing better to do. Let's try to write a song that embodies, paints a visual picture of two lovers right. making love right? without using any visual or even auditory or like um, dialogue in that whole process. And oh yeah, no big deal. Well, we just that's, just that's, whip that up out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, that's how crazy we were. And as much as it is painful to listen to for me, uh, there are moments where I'm just like, oh, you know, something was happening there. So... That's kind of the best you can hope for, I think. And
0: nobody, you know, it's a five-minute song. Yeah. You got to sit there to yeah. get to the payoff. Right. You know, nobody has that kind of time anymore. anymore. This is in the age of TikTok. You think this would ever fly? Never,
1: not in a million years.
0: This is why art needs to be preserved. Because <laughs> when the machines take over, there are no more Picassos. <laughs> Speaking of which, really- I saw this Picasso video yesterday. It blew my mind. He's he's painting in real time, black mm-hmm. and white, and it starts out as a flower. He draws three flowers and then he draws an outline and it becomes a chicken. Uh, and it's uh, then it, beca- or it becomes a fish, I'm sorry. So he, uh, the flowers turn into the scales and the gills. Yeah. And then before you know it, it's a fish. And then he draws a chicken head. And now the fish tail looks just like a chicken mm. rooster tail and it becomes a chicken. And it's mm. this m- morphine art, you sure. know? It starts one way and it just morphs in real time right before your eyes. AI machines are never going to be able to do that. And you know, the deeper we get into this mechanized world, the more of a premium there's going to be on this kind of art. Yeah. I think personally.
1: Well, I hope so.
0: This is easily the most commercial song on the record that you could play for your parents. And like, oh, this
2: is really good. In the school, now. the playground. Come on. No way. You're not getting me on that thing. Come on, silly.
1: You're <laughs> amazing.
2: guarded by reckless delight. A smile painted on the so often grim countenance she rose and once again descended. Dainty toes peeking brazenly from sandals, now modestly curling as rubber soles just barely scrape the spinning earth. And she is rising once more. Smooth Legs extending childish bend.
0: Oh, you're canceled. Yep. <laughs>
2: that's <it>. Listen <laughs> to
0: those harmonies. I know. Ain't no auto-tune. No, That's that's all Seth, right? No, it's me and okay, Seth. Okay, who's doing the low part? Uh, play it. Turn it up.
2: It's like, I believe the I'm the lower end. end. Emerging yeah,
1: from I a silhouette
0: These are barbershop Motown girl group yeah. harmonies, yeah. which, you know. Not easy to pull off. Well,
1: we're attempting it. I think 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 it's less than perfect, but I do remember we were recording those at the very end. And uh, Jesse Blott, who was our roommate at the time, was leaving for work at like six in the morning and passed by the room while we were standing there, singing those harmonies and looking at us and just shaking his head and thinking big shout out Jesse yeah, Bob Jesse Bob what's up buddy always I mean, the intellectual yes and he thought we were and we looked crazy we certainly were crazy he
0: was like he was like google before there was google he really was he knew everything
1: yeah he was a brain children play about the two when he feels
0: cool um not a well I don't yeah I don't know I, nobody's ever heard it I'm probably not you either but I I um, secretly recorded Levi yes. who nobody knows but
1: I, I want a copy of that by the way oh I've got it I can you, give it to you, you You can
0: yes we had this crazy kid Levi he lived with us for a little while but Jesse Vaught one night was over at the house and I was taping covertly because I love to do that because I'm like a big covert dude or whatever but uh, I got Jesse Vaught talking about they got into this argument about nucleus and proteins and amino acids mm-hmm. and it, he's just so measured and and calm, and he's just going through all the scientific stuff. It's so hilarious, dude. Jesse, bud, love you. Whatever happened to him, man?
1: He is in Western New York, I believe. Uh, last I knew, he was the head chef for a restaurant, a kind of a hoity-toity restaurant on the lake. Somewhere. He was always the best cook. Yeah, he was. Great. He used to
0: broil those sandwiches, yeah, man, man. Remember?
1: Yeah, he he's a great cook, and that's what he's doing, I believe. yep
0: well, we just talked over that one. Well, anyway,
1: that, yeah. <laughs> I, I always liked that. That was the my that was as far as uh, poetry-wise was my least, has always been my least cringy one. Whenever I hear that one, I'm like, eh, no, it's okay. Just about a girl on a swing.
0: If you did this to me, and you're like, Ellie, we're going to sit down with all your 90s it's, songs. It's painful, man. I would walk out of this I, room. It's
1: painful. I'm gritting my teeth, you know, but.
0: Well, you're a trooper. Thank you. I, and That's this is the beauty in the eye of the beholder. Uh Life is relative. We're in our own little reality bubbles. We think we see the world the same way, but until we collide reality bubbles, you know, it doesn't really become apparent. I see this at the time when it was recorded. I had no understanding. I didn't particularly think it was like, as I, I imp- it was impressive that you guys pulled that off, but I didn't really appreciate it. Sure. And now I, I'm here, you know, because I'm archiving everything for the label, I'm listening to all this stuff over and over mm-hmm. and over, and I'm like, my God, this, you know, it's like caviar. It starts out salty or whatever. You know, I don't, I've never had caviar. What's <laughs> right. a good example. <laughs> Sorry, all you vegans, but uh, something that, you know, it's an acquired yes, taste. Yes, it definitely is. And sure. then once you get it, you're like, hmm, yeah, this is gourmet. Yeah. This is a delicacy. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm drunk. (laughs) Well, mission accomplished.
0: Well, I think uh, we'll end it on that. Jesse Stratton, thank you for doing the 525 Records podcast. It was a blast. I'm so glad you came out and did this in the middle of the end of the world. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. It was really a lot of fun.